Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of the Lights on a Screen podcast. I am your host, Jacob, and as always is joining me is Taylor. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's been, it's been a long week in this house. It has. There's been no sleep happening for like a week straight because someone is dying on the verge of dying over there. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of, yeah. Yep. So I'm tired. Uh, it's been a bit of a interesting way to kick off the new year. Just feeling like. It's felt like a hectic way to kick off the new year. So I'm excited to get into some movies that I really, really liked from the year and just kind of dive into some positive, fun things because, you know, life. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're also joined by Elena. How are you? I'm great. Tired as we all are, but we're here. We're ready to talk about 2022. Yeah, this uh, – so – this episode is our bonus episode and our review of 2022 because it was meant to be the episode that you would have gotten last week. However, a certain somebody who is still not recovered is sick and uh, that really threw a wrench in everything. So we weren't able to record and now we're sitting down, we're actually going to record and have and talk about these movies and the year that was. So in just a very general scope, Elena, how was 2022 for you in film? I definitely watched more films than any other year. I really tried to um, up my movie watching and what I was watching and the diversity, I guess, of what I was watching. So it was really good. And I honestly think this year, while it does have a lot of downfalls, the good movies are incredible. (coughs) And I don't think we've had like this is like the first year after COVID especially that we've definitely like come back and like come back hard um in the film industry so probably the best year since 2019 which is only like three years ago but it says a lot and tell yeah this has definitely been the year that I've watched the most movies like ever in my whole life um And it's been an interesting one to kind of think about and look back on because the movies that I really enjoyed, I really, really loved. Like the the top half of my kind of list of movies that I really had a great time with are all very, very good. And there's quite a number of them. Um, I don't... I think most of the movies... like. There's only been a hand, a handful of movies that I've really just been like, these are really, really bad. Um, like the bad ones this year were really bad, in my opinion. Um, but there's also just been this kind of, I have a pretty big list of mid-range films that just are all kind of thrown. Like they're technically ranked, but it's just like... <laughs> Not really. There's like an 87-way tie for this this middle kind of... It's been a really interesting landscape Mm -hmm. with how streaming has been and with how what movies have gone to theaters and what's kind of getting marketing really... Like, it's it's been a fascinating year for film. Um, Like we said, it's kind of been the first year it's really kicked back off since the pandemic started. Um, And it's... I feel like there's quite a bit to, to kind of dive into and talk about. Um. So last year, I think 2022 is probably one of my worst years, uh, as in for me actually movie watching. And I 
Don't know what it was about it, but yeah, the, last year was pretty bad in me keeping up and watching new releases and actually seeing all of these movies. So uh, there's going to be movies that are on your both of your top 10, or I'm assuming, or movies that you guys have seen and, ta- and are going to talk about that I straight up haven't seen. Uh, I, I saw something like 60 movies in total from 2022. Like, yeah, I, your I, list I, was my, this year. <laughs> my list was really <laughs> bad this year. Um, and I, I just, and I don't even know why that was because you're right. This was like the return year. Like it was the first, because 2020, I was also a really bad year for me as well in terms of movie watching. But, uh, last year, I, uh, so 2021, I was fine. Like I, I came back really strong in 2021. And then last year, I think it was just a combination of a lot of factors, uh, that just kind of really stopped me uh, from seeing movies. I think theater movies I saw. I would go see a lot of movies in theaters. I pretty much saw all the major ones in theaters. It was the streaming movies that really I didn't keep up on. And I wasn't great at really like pushing myself to go see streaming movies. And I think that that's, I think that that is a big thing for me going forward is is having to keep up with streaming movies. Cause I think that's obviously where the industry is going in terms of, we're going to start getting a balance, but I, I do think this year moving forward is going to be interesting because we are going to see a lot the re- more of a return to theaters, more of a return to these big films coming back to theaters and streaming not being the be all end all, I guess. So I, I'm very, very interested to see where this year goes, but uh, so what are some of the like? So, what are some some of those uh, movies in the middle that you were mentioning that you just want to mention that like? Because I think the personally for what I saw this year, this year was very mediocre. Um, there are some amazing top heavy movies. There are some movies at the top that are absolutely incredible and amazing that I adore and love. But there is a lot in the middle that I was just very. This was just a very meh fine year. And a lot of, especially a lot of the bigger movies that we were all excited for and all had a lot of anticipation for and they've just turned out to be, yeah, that was all right. It was good. Like, I I think a lot of them had that where it was just the, eh, it was all right. So, like, stuff for me personally, stuff like She Said, Ambulance, Northman, these films that I was I was really looking forward to and then they're just, yeah, it was all right. It, it was fine. Yeah, for me that was kind of like Bodies, Don't Worry Darling, they were two that I was hyped about mm. and really looking forward to seeing and then really got disappointed by them. There was I still liked the movies but I was expecting to love them. Um, same with Pearl and X. Everyone was kind of raving about those ones and I was like, okay, I get I get. I don't get it, but I get the performance love from Mia Goth. But, yeah, those kinds of movies. Um, Yeah, the ones that I have in the middle aren't necessarily movies I consider disappointing for me. Um, My middle section is more just like they're movies I enjoyed uh, to varying degrees, but I still think for the most part they're good movies, mm. like from either a technical standpoint or acting or story or whatever it is. Like my, you know, my middle movies are things I would consider like, 
you know, good luck to you, Leo Grand or Spiderhead or Scream or the Black Phone. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, or Nope. Like there are things about them that I did enjoy, um, but they just didn't like make it into my top, um, into my top movies. Um, you know, it's really once we start getting down towards the bottom, bottom that there are things that I just really didn't enjoy. Like the gray man, I wasn't expecting to like, but I really like (coughs) did not like it at all. Um, stars at noon really let me down. Thor, uh, light year, like just the bullet train. Like Mm. they're just things, (laughs) things in there that just, I, those are kind of more the ones that fell to the, bottom like most most of the stuff in the middle for me is still stuff that i enjoyed quite a bit it's i think and i'm just making an, an assumption here but i think i far more enjoyed this year of movies than you probably did like my middle to me is still pretty solid it's you have to get to the pretty close mm. to the bottom bottom for me to be like oh yeah now my uh, yeah my, my bottom's pretty <laughs> Uh, yeah, I get stuff like Morbius, uh, The Bubble. Oh, that movie, that one was rough. That, the, um, and then Halloween Ends, which you you avoided. Listen, my <laughs> bottom th- four are Blonde, Moonfall, Black Adam, and Persuasion. All right? Like, <laughs> it's been, the bottom has been rough. Like, mm. the ones that are bad, I've really had a tough time with. But, like I said, you have to go, like, really to the bottom for me to just find... To, for me to have movies that there weren't things I at least appreciated about mm-hmm. it or enjoyed about it. Like, for me, this is a very top-heavy year, um, which is exciting because I feel like that kind of hasn't been the case for me for a while. Yeah, my bottoms are definitely, like, I have about uh, only, like, eight one-star movies, but there's a lot of two-stars where it was like, eh, it was all right, but I really didn't care for it more than that. And I would maybe give it an extra star because there was something in it that mm. I kind of liked, but definitely not enough to enjoy it per se. Um, but yeah, my bottom movies are like Orphan First Kill and The Invitation that were just like laughably bad. <laughs> Everyone was saying Orphan First Kill was like camp and I just didn't see it. But um, And then Purple Hearts, same thing. What was that movie? I don't know. And then we all know how much I hated Violent Night, so I don't have to go through that. Um, and my worst movie, probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the new one on Netflix, because I love the original, so that just shat on everything that it, the legacy that it led. So that's my bottom. But uh, yeah, uh, the other th- I want the other thing I want to kind of go through, just because you know we we are now kind of twenty twenty two was a big year for the MCU and we got the end of phase four. And I also think that to most people, the phase four MCU, the three, all three films were kind of a bit, either a disappointment or mediocre at best. And I think uh, that sums up. I, I think at least my thoughts definitely is either they were disappointing with love and thunder or they were, it's fine, which with doctor, with Dr. Strange and black and black Panther, where I was both for both of them, I was like, eh, they're fine. So it's what did you guys think of like I guess more of the blockbusters so not just the MCU but stuff like Jurassic World, um, Fantastic Beasts like the, these type of movies that have just you know that were the 
the big blockbusters that came just kind of came and were there. Yeah, all very bleh. Um, obviously, Avatar the exception, but MCU definitely, like, I didn't give above a three star, um, which is very unusual for me. I usually, like, <clears throat> really get into those Marvel movies, especially the 2021 movies. Maybe it was because there was, it was so far in between Far From Home and then, like, Black Widow, but I was, like, raving about those ones. And then into this year, I was really disenfranchised by it. Um, but yeah. What other blockbusters were there? Well, there's another. There's a couple other ones that I think we're going to talk about later. Yeah. yeah true. Well, like for me, the I'm I'm on the same page. Like I didn't give an MCU film this year more than three stars. Mm. Um, I, which is interesting because like I'm usually someone who gets pretty excited for them. Um, and is really into this kind of universe they've built up, but there were just I don't know what it was. There was just something about it this year, like. Thor Love and Thunder is one of the worst Marvel movies I've ever seen. Like it's just, it was just bad for so many reasons. Um, Like I really just didn't have fun watching the movie, which you don't necessarily have to have fun watching an MCU movie, but if you're going to make it not fun, there has to be other things to make up for it. And I just didn't feel like that was the case. Mm. Um, And I thought, you know, I, I try to kind of give it a pass because of where things were, but visually it was just a mess, mm-hmm. um, which also didn't really help. I've talked in our episode where we did Wakanda Forever. I talked pretty extensively about how that you know, I just couldn't make connections with the movie and there was just a lot that didn't work for me. And then with Multiverse of Madness, I didn't necessarily dislike the film. <laughs> um, I just again, think that it was, they were only willing to let Raimi go halfway with it. Mm -hmm. Like it was a half Raimi, half MCU movie where it it felt like there were a lot of compromises that had to be made to, to keep it inside of what the MCU kind of expects of a movie. Like there were hints in there of, of Raimi and the things that he does stylistically and you know, I remember the conversation around this movie being like, we're so excited to finally get a horror MCU movie. Mm. Problem is, you would kind of get the very beginnings of those kind of elements, and then it would just pull every single one of its punches. Mm. Uh, like, right when it's kind of towing that line of being something interesting. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of disappointing. Uh, I've kind of at a point with Marvel where now like, you're going to have to give me a reason to really be excited about these movies. There's only one that I have on my anticipated list for next year, um, which is Marvel's because I'm really excited. Like I like Brie in the role a lot and I want like a female heavy film. Like I'm Mm. excited about the possibilities of that, but for the most part, I'm pretty burnt out on the formula (laughs) at this point. Um, But in terms of other blockbusters, look, I didn't think the secrets of Dumbledore was fantastic but I think it's the best of the trilogy. Yeah. Like, I think it's the best Fantastic Beast movie we've gotten, which is a shame because I think it's the last one we're going to get. <laughs> yeah, like, we've, we finally got one that kind of feels coherent and interesting, and we're just never going to get another one because mm. of how, everything about it um, without getting into all the controversies and, and stuff there. But, I mean, like we said, there are a couple of blockbusters we're going to end up talking about later i think so i'll kind of leave those alone but outside of that it hasn't really been a blockbuster kind of Mm. year really like 
we we've had a conversation about this you and I, Jacob, before where we kind of sat down and tried to list out actually what the blockbusters for the year have been, and there just haven't really mm. been, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the other big thing from this year of it is this was a huge horror year. This is yes. a huge year yep. for horror. There's some incredibly great horror films. I think we're all going to be mentioning at least some of them in our top ten. I know I am. Um, but you know that and. There's some that didn't make our top, my, at least my personal top ten, that I don't think made either of yours either. Like something like Prey, yeah. uh, which is a really, really small, you know, hor- a small horror film based in the Predator universe that I think is a really, really great small little action movie. Um, and then you, you, you mentioned them earlier, the X and Pearl. Mm. Um, I haven't seen Pearl, but X, you know. I agree with you that I think X is overhyped and I think people, a lot of people were saying this. I, I think a lot of people are giving it a lot higher praise than it realistically for me personally, but I also am just really glad that we're getting those type of horror films again. Like we, we're getting – I think this is a fantastic year for horror. It's kind of and, a return to form. Yeah. But also – like reinventing the genre with everything. Mm. Yeah. And then, and something like the black phone, which is another one that's just like, a, it, it's a fun movie. Uh, personally, I, I think it, I was a little disappointed by the black phone just Same. because of how hyped I was for it. Cause I, th- I think it's a very small story and I think, it, but, but I still very much enjoy that. Film that's your own fault. I know. You I keep know. doing yeah. that to yourself. I know, I where I you, I'm like, I try to tell you not to hype, like don't go in with all these expectations <laughs> because then it's your fault. If you yeah. don't like it, yeah. you can't go in and be like, it didn't give me the movie I expected mm. it to be and then be upset about it. Um, and then from just a personal point, a uh, per- personal perspective, I really love scream. I just like scream like even as yes there are problems and yes it's it's a little too self aware and on the nose but that's scream and I don't care I love this franchise and I love this movie and I will forever and all like even the bad scream movies are good scream movies so I don't care I love this film and I will forever and always love this franchise <laughs> yeah that's like um that like scream and Kimmy are in my top twenty and I think it's like I loved them, but I was watching them on a plane mm. and something about that being the only thing you can do and focus on. Yeah. It was just like so epic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to, so let's actually just start talking about like, what were some of our favorite performances this year? Like, so stuff that, so performances that just absolutely floored us that we really, that we think are deserving to be in the conversation with, up there and come Oscar season or even just ones that are going to get overlooked at Oscar season, but you still just want to mention and give a shout out to. So, well. Um, I have four that came to mind straight away. So I've got Kate Blanchett and Tar, which, I mean, she's not going to get snubbed at the Oscars. No. We know that. <laughs> but And she's probably going to win. We'll see. Um, but the main thing I took away from that film was her performance and – it's still a three-star film for me um, simply because it's not my kind of movie, but she definitely is the reason I gravitate towards it so much still and think about it quite a lot. Um, same with After Sun. The first time I saw it, it was like film festival fatigue and I was like falling asleep and it's a very quiet movie. But when I revisited it, I adored it and mainly because of Paul Meskel and Frankie Corio definitely as well um as a first time young actress she does an incredible job 
But Paul Meskell, I saw it from the minute I saw him in normal people. I knew he was going places and he's definitely a critic's darling this season. I don't know if he will crack the Oscars list. I really hope he does and I have him, like, I'm betting that he does, but we shall see, I guess. Um, and then also Stephanie Shu and Everything Everywhere All at Once is a standout for me in that film. Definitely Michelle Yeoh as well. But Stephanie just brings a whole new layer and level to that whole movie and the character she's playing. Uh, we had this conversation today, Jacob and I, about Jamie Lee Curtis versus Stephanie mm. Shu and who will get in. And it's really sad that she might get in <laughs> over Jamie Lee Curtis, but that's another conversation. Um, and then lastly is Pearl, Mia Goth. Um, I chose Pearl over X because I definitely think while she does play the two characters in X, I believe that Pearl is a much deeper and emotionally gripping performance for her. And I wish that she could be in Oscar's conversation for it, but it's just not going to happen because it's, I guess, too small of a film. But she, if, if you're going to watch Pearl for anything, do it for Mia Goth because she's incredible. Tell? Um, yeah, it's been an interesting year for performances for me just because I feel like a lot there's some great performances that I know are going to get nominated for awards and everything but there have also been so many I feel like are going to get overlooked um for example I'm still upset that Gabriel Abel isn't being talked about for Mm -hmm. the Fablemans because I think he's fantastic in the movie and the movie doesn't work if he's not it really the whole thing hinges upon him being a character that you believe especially with the context we all go in with knowing this is a young Steven Spielberg, like you have to, he has to be magnetic and interesting and you have to want to go on this journey with him throughout the movie. Um, so I thought his performance was wonderful. Um, this one is getting some kind of conversation. I don't know if she'll end up sneaking in. I kind of hope she does, but Janelle Monet in glass onion, mm. um, she is just fantastic. Uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to talk about like, the fact that she has to play two different roles and does them so well and is able to switch in and out. And you can tell that they're two very distinct, different characters with different personalities. Mm. I think she handles it very, very well. And again, it's the kind of performance that has to be perfect because if it's not, the concept of the whole movie doesn't work. Mm. Like everything about it falls apart if she's not fantastic. And she is. So I'm glad that. She has been getting a bit of love um, and people have been talking about her. Um, I want to talk about two performances from Triangle of Sadness that I don't think people are talking about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Dolly De Leon, people are talking about. That's not the one I want to talk about. She's fantastic. But I'm really sad we're not talking about Harris Dickinson and Woody Harrelson specifically. I know Woody Harrelson's role is very small, but he is perfect. Mm. Every second he's on screen in that movie, he's doing exactly what that movie needs him to do. He's never more than he's supposed to be, and he's never less than he's supposed to be. And I think he's phenomenal in it. I also think Harris is great. And, like, he's great through the whole movie. But just his introduction as a character, where he's in the modeling casting room, just completely sets the tone for what you're going to get from the whole movie. And I think he sells it brilliantly. Um Two other ones that I'll just kind of mention. Austin Butler, Elvis, obviously. <laughs> Favorite performance of the year, obviously. <laughs> like, I don't need to go any further into that. Like, 
just do any amount of research or watch any interview and see the preparation that went into him performing that role. That's all you need to know. Like Baz has done it again. First he gave us young Leo and now we're getting this and it's a whole thing. Um, And then the other one I want to mention is the whole Top Gun Maverick ensemble cast. Tom Cruise has been getting um, some hype for an acting performance awards, which I think is great. Like, I don't think this movie is even it doesn't exist without him first of all because he's the one that has the power to green light this and just snap his fingers this movie is what it is but i do think the casting for this film just the ensemble from the young pilots to the legacy pilots to everyone in between in the film i think um is a huge reason why this movie worked because not only do you have to care about Maverick coming back, but you have to care about these new pilots. Cause if you don't care about these new pilots, yeah. the movie doesn't work at all. So I have, I could go on and on and on, but those are the couple that I kind of want to give a shout out to. Um, the few that I really want to give a shout out to, and I guess mine are, are all kind of being in that Oscar conversation. Uh, you mentioned her already as Dolly De Leon from Triangle of Sadness. I think she is the, she is fantastic in Triangle of Sadness and I, I'm really pulling for her to get a nomination this year because I think she's she is really, really good in that movie and I, I really love her performance. Um, the other one, again, is one of my, you know, you you mentioned Kate. Like Kate's, Kate is clear, is easily my favourite performance all year. I think she is sensational in Tar and is the whole reason that that movie is as strong as it is. Um uh, but the other one is Paul Dano in in Fablements. Uh, what Paul Dano is able to do and what he he is able to bring to that character and how much just heartache he has while also being trying like trying to be the supportive dad and the supportive husband and I I, I just think there is a lot of nuance to that performance and I, I really I really love Paul Dano's uh, the, his work in that film and I am really hoping. That we yeah we we see him it translate in uh, come Oscar time. Um, all right, let's get to our honorable mentions. So the stuff that didn't quite make our top ten uh, that we really wanted to that just missed out. Uh, do we want to say three each? Yeah, I mean. All right. Okay. It's gonna be hard to pick three. Yeah, so that's gonna it. be really tough. <laughs> If you'd like to do more, you can do more. I, I've got three. So, oh well, okay, Mister Film Snob over there who had a bad movie year. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. Yep. Um, this one just outside of my top ten is Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Wow, definitely nearly cracked in there. It was floating in and out, but ultimately got the boot. Sorry, Marcel. Um, but such such a beautiful movie. Literally nothing wrong with it. I love it so much. Um, ooh, okay, I'm also going to mention Bardo, False Chronicle of Handful of Truths. Um, maybe I'm just trying to be different, but <laughs> <laughs> everyone fucking hated this movie and I was obsessed. Um, and I will stand by it till the day I die. And I'm also going to pick Decision to Leave because... If that doesn't win Best International Feature at every single award show, <laughs> I will murder someone. Um, it's just such a beautifully crafted film. Literally every single part of it is like just Park Chan-wook is 
a master at what he does. And I'm really excited to – that's my only movie I've seen of his, so that's all I'm going off. <laughs> <laughs> but I really need to revisit, like, revisit, need to visit full stop, um, like Old Boy and yeah. Handmaiden and stuff because those are probably way better. But everyone and their dog needs to see that movie. So that's my three. All right. Um, so I guess my three, these, so these two just missed out on my top 10, um, which is the menu. I think the menu is, it was such a pleasant surprise. Like I kind of didn't really know what to expect out of it. And Ani Taylor-Joy and Ray Fiennes and Nicholas Holtz, um, are just so fun in it. Like they're so magnetic and it's just this really interesting contained kind of story that went in a completely different direction than I was expecting it to as it was unfolding. Um, and I really loved it a lot. Um, another one that just missed out is all quiet on the Western front. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily know if I would say I loved this film, but it was so impactful. Like it was a really tough watch, but it, it's really emotionally impactful. It's technically like really wonderfully shot. I think the script is really tight. Um, the performances are really, um, again, really tough to watch. Um, Felix Kramerer, Kramerer, the lovely gentleman who uh, leads the film, is very heartbreaking. Um, and it's it's just one of those movies that you kind of have to watch. Don't know how many people will be re-watching it just because it's not particularly entertaining. It's more devastating than anything else, but I think it's brilliant. Um, and I guess... Like, there are just so many that I could bring up because there are so many movies that I had a, a great time with. But I guess I'll talk about one that kind of surprised me because I didn't... It shouldn't surprise me because the director and the actor have a great track record with me, but I just really did not know what to expect when it kind of got dumped on Netflix. But uh, White Noise really surprised me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of knew the premise of it going in, because whenever Adam Driver signs on to something, I usually try to figure out <laughs> what we're about to get. Uh, and Noah Baumbach is someone that I've really um, liked paying attention to his career, just because I think he's a very interesting filmmaker, even if I'm not always 100% sold on what he's doing. Um, and it's just... It was a movie that hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting it to. Um, if anyone knows me at all, they know that I deal with existential dread like 24-7 every <laughs> single day. So this movie was basically just like, hey, let's sit down and really think about it and deal with <laughs> and deal with these things that you're constantly already dealing with, but also like not actually dealing with. Uh, and I think the I think I feel like you had said this when you talked about watching it. I don't think Gerwig is great in it. Yeah. I don't think the role was quite right mm -hmm. for her. 100%. But I think the movie is still strong enough that I really enjoyed it. Um, I really kind of, I know that people have talked about it kind of being more of like a satire, I guess, more than anything, but I didn't really, to me, it doesn't come across that way. Like yeah, maybe same. that, maybe that is the intention, but 
it doesn't really hit me that way. It hits me very sincerely, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was also interesting because going into it, kind of having the frame of mind that it's supposed to be almost like a satire and then coming out and being like, hmm. I'm crying right <laughs> now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, so I guess those three are kind of the ones that I would mention, like if I kind of just had to throw three out there, but I have so many that I could just talk about because again, it's been a pretty top heavy year for me. Um, I have, I have two that you probably will know. There's one that I'm about to say that you guys are going to be shocked. Not in my top 10. Um, so one of them's bros that just missed out. Uh, I, I was really upset that bros missed out. Actually. I really wanted to put bros in, but, uh, this was the funniest movie of the year. It was like, so easily. funny. This was so funny. This is just a really great time at the movies. I'm just this seeing it with both like seeing it with the group we saw it with, mm-hmm. just everyone full theater. Full theater just dying laughing was just one of the best movie going experiences I've had all year. And I, I just absolutely I love this film. It's so it's so sweet. It's so funny. It's so really like endearing. And yeah, I that one is just one that I Absolutely adored. Um, the other one that just missed out, especially given I've rewatched this since, and the more and more I've watched it, I've enjoyed it. And it's Class Onion. That that movie's actually gone up in my estimation since watching it. Um, it's still got a lot of problems, but I really enjoy this film. Um, and I, I'm just yeah, it's it's a it's another really great Ryan Johnson movie, and uh, I think he does it a lot really well. Uh, I I really. I think the issues surround, I guess the, the simplicity of the plot has kind of is why I maybe didn't like it the first time. And now I'm kind of like finding the extra layers in it. And I'm just starting to really enjoy it a lot more. You're starting to look at it like a, like a glass onion. onion. (laughs) Anyway, you're welcome. I'll be here all week. When you were Taylor, you were talking about Glass Onion, and you said on a rewatch it actually adds a lot. That like was one hundred percent true. Like mm. I watched it the first time, it was okay, and then I watched it again with my mom when it came out on Netflix, and mm. yeah, I really, really enjoyed it the second time. Yeah, uh, and the other one that was has been in my top ten all year. That well, not all year. Uh, that it's been in my top ten for a lot of the year, and then dropped out is fresh. Ooh, uh, spicy. Yeah, okay. fresh, fresh dropping out. This was a movie I really loved. I really loved Fresh the first time, and it's one that I really wanted to make it into the top ten, but uh, unfortunately, it did just miss out. Uh, this was this was also my first exposure to uh, Daisy as an actress. Daisy Edgar Jones is great. Yeah. And so obviously this was her big year. Um, cause she yeah, had yeah. No, obviously, like, I, I still haven't seen normal people. Um, <gasps> look, TV, okay? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Do I mean, you also, to be fair, you also haven't watched, um, what's it called either? Um, why can't under the banner of heaven? I, no, we went. We did we, you watch yeah, all of it? Yeah, we actually we went. I through watched. All, you all watched it. all of it, and then we. I, went I, through, I think you missed an episode or something. I feel like you one. came in like may when I was one, like through episode two. Yeah, yeah but, she's but I've, great I've in watched. That one yeah, as well. but that was the other thing that I did. Uh, that I did watch, which she was all she was in, and then obviously uh, Crawl your Dads. favorite movie in Crawdads. Yeah, yeah I, I was not a fan of Crawdads, <laughs> um, but I thought this she was incredible in um, going in. 
if you have not seen Fresh, go in as blind as you possibly yeah. can. The reveal halfway through the film is just amazing. It's one of my favorite as, moments. Especially, it's, like, the tone that it uses to do yeah. it as well. It's just a great movie. Yeah, that one just missed out. It's in my honorable mentions for sure. Like, it's in my top 15. It just, like, missed out yeah. on my top 10. All right. So, uh, so... I'm just curious because I haven't actually looked at your guys' lists because I've been trying to not do yeah. that. How many do you think we all actually have in common in our top ten? Uh, personally, I think... I think there's about two or three. That we'll all three have? I think there's three that all of us will have. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I was just curious. Um. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, here, here we, we go. go. This is... <laughs> This is the top 10 films of 2022. We are locking them in right yep. now. Obviously, there are some that we didn't get to see because of Australian release dates. Those include Cry, Babylon. Cries in Babylon. <laughs> uh, really. ba- Babylon. Babylon's probably the biggest one. Women Talking's the other one. Yeah. The Whale. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, we ended up not going to see Empire of Light. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Empire of Light with the other one. Still hasn't gotten a refund for that one, but <laughs> but I think that's my the- my one my one thing that I worry about is me seeing Babylon and going fuck. There's that's no room one. in this top. <laughs> there's no room in this top ten for another one. Yeah. So, all right, let's do this. Taylor, what is your number ten? Who I get to go first? Yeah, you get to go first. All right, my number ten. And this, this has been a spot I have agonized over. Like, my 10th spot. That's honestly the hardest spot. There are, like, four <laughs> the movies that should be in this spot right now, including the menu and All Quiet on the Western Front. But my 10th spot ultimately went to Glass Onion. It's okay. my number 10. I wasn't as... So, first time I watched the movie, I really had fun with it and enjoyed it. But... I didn't love it as much as I had immediately loved Knives Out when I saw Knives Out. Then I went and saw it in theaters again um, and really enjoyed it a lot more just because I I think I went into it kind of subconsciously expecting something similar to Knives Out in like story and tone, but that's not what it is. It's something very different. Um, And also I was able to kind of catch on to a lot more the second time around because I think there are a lot of people who are criticizing it for being very simple. But I think if you actually watch it a couple times and pay attention, um, it's very clever Mm -hmm. and it's very deliberate when it's simple about the things that it's being simple with. Um, And then we watched it a third time on Christmas Eve, Christmas Christmas something like that. And we watched it a third time and I just really have so much fun with these characters and with this cast and I do think it's so well-written, and I think it really has a lot to say in a very different way than Knives Out had specific things to say. Um, Knives Out was very much family and politics and how those two things, um, you know, kind of intersect and in dealing with, with that, uh, whereas this Glass Onion was more, you know, about how rich people can basically do whatever they want, but more less from a familial standpoint and more from a societal standpoint of you can be a politician or you can be an influencer or you can be a scientist or whatever. If you have connections or you have money or whatever, it was more of a commentary on that kind of sphere, which is hilarious that it came out when it came out with the things we're currently (laughs) dealing with. It was just perfect timing. Um, 
But I just love the cast. I think Daniel Craig is having the time of his life doing these movies, and you can tell. Um, I love that we get him playing Among Us in a bathtub <laughs> with Stephen Sondheim <laughs> specifically. Like, that's kind of my favorite thing ever. Um, the fact that it's just, it's just, I think it's so cool to have like a true ensemble cast like this with so many people I never thought I'd see in a movie together. Like seeing Dave Bautista do movies like this, um, you know, it's not like he hasn't done, put in great performances before. Like I think he's phenomenal in Blade Runner 2049. I think he's wonderful in Dune. Like I think he's starting to build this really incredible resume for himself. But again, he gets to exercise a whole different muscle in a movie like this Mm -hmm. that shows the kind of career that he wants, which I think is so great. Um, you know, seeing someone like Kate Hudson, who I feel like we haven't seen a lot of recently come in and just remind us why she's phenomenal. Um, seeing, just seeing the kind of, um, environment kind of world that can be created in movies like this while being relevant in commentary, but still being a lot of fun. Um, I think it's something that Ryan does really, really well. And I will not be disappointed if he just wants to keep turning these movies out and we just keep, get to have fun with them because mm. I think it, they're fun movies while still being mean, meaningful and interesting, but they aren't like, you know, traumatizing to watch either. <laughs> like it, they're just solid films. All right. Um, my, my number 10 is one that I think is on all three of our lists and it's, I think I've got the, I've got it lowest everything everywhere all at once. Mm. Uh, this is a movie that, I thoroughly enjoyed, and I do really love this movie. I and I'm going to get hate for where I put it on this list. <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once is 13th for me. Oh wow! So it is not the lowest. You bitches! <laughs> <laughs> my god. Okay. So it's in my honorable mentions, but you said we could only do three honorable Fair mentions. Fair enough. So. <laughs> And you figured we're going to talk about this movie yeah. anyway. So, yeah. Um, Elena's having serious. She's having co- a meltdown. She's having like. Yeah, she's seriously <laughs> sitting there going, am I, am I actually like professionally tied to these people? <laughs> <laughs> For, oh, first, Jacob yes. won't watch Paddington. And then, he, <laughs> and then these people won't put everything everywhere on the. <sighs> I know. Uh, no, this I, I really love this movie. Um, I think your it, opinion has changed a lot. Okay, so it's one that again, I think this was a victim of overhype. We saw it late. We, yeah, we saw did. it really when did you see late. It? Um, like when I say late, I'm meaning like two weeks after it came out. Oh, <laughs> but but, the, but two but weeks after it came, came out, out here. here, when it had been doing the press circuit yeah, for a okay. month in the US. Yeah. All it our had been friends out had in a, seen it. So we <laughs> yeah. realistically we saw it six when did it weeks come out late. In the US, a, a month before it came here. Yeah, but like I think oh, well, I don't remember. March, I saw it. I think it was March. I saw it in March. So yeah, there, there was a screen. It was there was a screening in March, and we didn't see it until near May. Like it was late Shit, April. Okay. It was like because it, it came out here the last week of April, and we didn't see it for until, two more weeks after that. Yeah, so. This it had just been having this build up as like the one of you know at that point it was the highest rated movie ever on Letterboxd. It was like this is the greatest movie you will ever see. Da, 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 da. And like, so it's, I, it's the same experience you and I had with Parasite. When yeah, Parasite came out. 
people had been because that one we didn't see until it was like a re-release in theaters or something like months and months later Yeah, parasite for us was really late but that was which is still before one best picture which was hilarious yeah but but yeah um it's yeah you kind of right it was the same kind of thing that i had with parasite and parasite's a movie now that i go back on and i'm like oh my god that's a really great movie i was really glad that it won best picture i was like i was really happy with what with with that as a film but this one I think is also it's one that I really I do really love this movie I think it is a really great exploration into family and love and um just I I, I think it's one that has stuck with me more and more over the year and I, I do need to revisit it it's one that I definitely need to I haven't actually sat down and revisited since um but it, it was one that no it was going to be on this list. I didn't know where, but it was going to be on this list. And, I, and yeah, so it, it got my number 10 spot. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> now, my number 10 is Bros. Did make my top 10. Uh, everything Jacob said, this is like the best theater experience maybe ever, like since Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Because honestly, on same level <laughs> for the gays, at least. <laughs> Can we get, hold on? We need to use that as a quote. <laughs> the bros is the Avengers Endgame for, for the gays. <laughs> Elena Petri said it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really, really loved this movie. Like funniest movie of the year. I will say I understand its flaws because I rewatched it again. Like I raved about it to everyone. Rewatched it again with my best friend and we were the only ones in the cinema, which unfortunately a lot of people would have had that experience in Australia because like at my cinema at least there wasn't more than like 10 people in a cinema, Mm. so which really sucks. Um, And with her, I could definitely like see how it wasn't as funny as in a packed theatre with everyone on the same level, Mm. but... I still think it's very charming and it's very sweet and it's really refreshing to get a love story like this that kind of treats gay people as just like normal people and not Mm. like they have to be this huge like secret and it's like a huge thing that they get together and the whole trope of coming out and I get very tired of movies like that. And so the fact that this is just openly and honestly gay is really awesome. Um, And... I don't know. I it was when I first watched it. It was my number one. I was like, "Fuck it, number one." <laughs> I was gonna say, and, "I was gonna Jesus dropped." Like, yeah. um, and then it was my top five. And then I rewatched it, and I was like, uh, "It still has to be there because definitely a very memorable moment of the year." Mm. Um, so I made it my number ten. Okay, all right, Taylor, what's your number nine? <sighs> all right, so let me just preface this by saying. Nine through about six or seven is like pick a day on any given day. True. These could be in any different order. Yeah. Like it's really my top five that's more solidified, I guess I would say to an extent. Mm. Um, but even then it's like the, the problem I'm having this year more than any other year is like any of these movies could probably be number one on any given day, like which has never really happened for me before. Mm. Um, but at the moment, um, my number nine is the Fablemans. Um, 
I'm not going to get too much into that because we literally just (laughs) spent our last episode (laughs) where I got to like rant about it uh, for a really long time. So if you want to know my thoughts on Fablemans and haven't listened to the last episode, that's where you can can find them. Um, But no, Fablemans, I got to rewatch the other day. And it's just a really solid movie. It's a very personal story from a filmmaker who is just technically very brilliant, knows how to move a camera, knows how to stage a scene, um, knows how to evoke emotions through different storytelling mediums, um, is able to inject humor in a really interesting way. The cast, I think, was all brilliant. And I think just overall, it it's a movie about artists and what it's like to try and grow up and figure out you want to be an artist and what it means to express yourself in your art and how much of yourself you're going to put in it and how that affects the people around you and trying to figure out if there is a balance of how much you give to your art and how much you give to your family um, and what that ultimately can look like. And I just thought it was really well made. Um, it might be my favorite Spielberg movie. It's at least top three. <laughs> like... Really great. Loved it a lot. Hilarious to me because Jacob was supposed to be the one that loved this movie and I was supposed to be meh on it because usually like Spielberg is fine for me most of the time when it comes to having a personal connection. I always think he's technically brilliant in the movies he makes, but usually I'm just kind of like, from an objective technical standpoint, yes, the movie is very good. Mm. But this is like one of those handful of Spielberg movies where I'm like, all right, I feel you, Stephen. I, I get it. All right. Uh, my number nine is one that has been all over the place. There was there was a list where this wasn't on there, and then I went, no, it has to be on there because of how much I raved about this movie afterwards. Uh, it's Bones and All. Um. This is probably the most uncomfortable I have been in a movie theater. You could say that again. <laughs> Literally, Ever. listeners, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I don't think I can overstate the fact that literally I thought he was going to pass out. I was very concerned oh that I was going to have to do like, I was like, are you sure you're okay? Do you need water? Do I need like, are you, are you okay? I do also think it was a combination of a lot of factors that went into that. I.e., the seats we were in, which is the single world's worst cinema. We're not going to call it out though. <laughs> do not name it. Nope. <laughs> and, um, I, I, yeah, I do think there was a combination of factors and also not being at all prepared for what the movie actually was. Which I find hilarious yeah. now, like looking back on yeah. it. Like I knew I, I it knew hilarious. it was the cannibal. I knew it was the cannibalism. You know cannibal okay. See, but you say I knew it was the cannibal. I don't think you actually did. I didn't realize it. Yeah, I think you see how bad it was like I, that Boy, op- you were unprepared for luca the opening the i the opening scene is probably the most visceral reaction uh, second most visceral reaction i've had to a movie all year of just what the f which is when <laughs> what's number one i uh, will get to that okay. we'll, we'll get there <laughs> we'll get there um but when when she just yeah that that opening scene is just amazing and i i th- this is a really sweet loving endearing heartfelt story that just happens to be incredibly violent and about two people who are committing despicable acts and for some reason 
Luca is able to make you fall in love with them. And that's just why I fell in love with this movie. And I think it's it's absolutely deserves to be... Yeah, it's that's why it's on my list. Slay. <laughs> my number nine. Um, I've only watched it the once, which is unusual for me with most movies in this top ten. Um, but it's stuck with me and I just think about it all the time and has a soft spot in my heart and it's turning red. Um, if you know me, you know I'm a Pixar slut. And this is nothing short of incredible for Pixar, especially in, I guess, their what you could call their new wave of films where it's very different to the original Pixar that we knew. Um, and they're trying a lot of different things. And this really worked for me. Um, especially the animation, what Dome she does in the, her direction of the film is commendable. And... I just really connected with the story and maybe cried a few times during the film, more than once. Um, and I'm just going to say F the haters and <laughs> the bitches that are like, you're so unrelatable, and I just, it's about some Asian girl in Canada. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, if you can't find something listen, to relate about in this film. Listen, if you can't relate to being totally in love with Four Town, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, all right? I There's something know, wrong with like, you. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, I, like I said, soft spot in my heart, and I really do want to revisit it because I can see it becoming one of those movies that just becomes a comfort movie. Maybe I'm scared of rewatching it because it's probably going to be one that, okay, I'm watching this, like, at least twice a week now. Like, <laughs> it's just one of those movies that will instantly give me a warm hug. And I really love it. Tell. What's your number eight? Oh, God. Okay. Oh, I'm not ready to talk about this movie. <laughs> um, so this one was very unexpected for me. Um, I was interested in seeing this movie, but didn't really know what to expect from any context. Um, and... I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. I was more maybe expecting to just appreciate it. But I have not stopped thinking about the Banshees of Inisherin since we saw the movie. Like, it has just constantly been in my head. And I had a very emotional reaction at the end of the movie that I wasn't expecting to have. It reminds me of watching the stage show come from away for the first time where through the whole movie I was like, I really appreciate this. Like, you know, I'm like taking everything in and then the last like 10 minutes hit and you just are, nope, there's a waterfall <laughs> on my face and I'm feeling a lot of things that I wasn't ready to feel. Like it just kind of ninja attacks you like out of nowhere. It's like, you're just like, oh great, I'm feeling things. Like this is really bad and don't want to be feeling right now. And Banshees definitely did that to me. Um I think the performances in it are phenomenal. Um, I think Colin is great. I think Gleason is great. But to me, it's really Barry Keegan that killed me. Like, watching this movie and watching his performance is what I think really just kind of broke me at the end. Um, the things that his character experiences. Um, I think Carrie Condon is great as well. That that scene specifically between the two of them will haunt me forever. Um and I think maybe this is the movie you were kind of uh, hinting at when you said you had a visceral reaction. 
maybe? No, no. No. Okay, no, well, this was my visceral reaction. Yeah, no, there's, there's another one. Okay, well, this one was mine. It's, uh, it definitely made me feel a little queasy <laughs> at some points. Uh, when, sorry, when I say visceral reaction, I'm more meaning of just like the more what the fuck moment. Hmm. Not the I'm gonna throw up. Well, I would say this is a pretty good what the yeah, fuck no, moment. That, that, to be yeah, fair, no, Jacob, this is definitely one for you. No, <laughs> this Jacob, is a- <laughs> come on now. Jeez, just because some of us are used to people chopping their fingers <laughs> off, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, I this was my first experience with a McDonough film. Mm. Um, so. Everyone's like, wow, you picked quite the introduction to that. <laughs> Which, you know, you guys know how I do at this point. I just kind of pick a random entry into <laughs> into things and just kind of swing with it. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the film. It's definitely one that I do want to rewatch again, just because even though there is a lot about it that makes you go, what the fuck? And makes you... Again, it's another movie that makes you confront mortality and how you personally deal with that and what it means to you and what kind of legacy you're leaving behind and what's important to you in terms of all that. Um, But at the end of the day, it's hilarious. Mm. Like the comedy in the movie is so funny. It's so endearing. And I think this movie just strikes a great balance between the two. It has the comedic relief moments that never feel like they're there for comedic relief. Like it just all feels very genuine. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it a lot. And it was, it's one of those theater experiences. I'm just not going to forget where I'm sitting, sitting there crying. And Jacob's like, are you, are you crying? (laughs) What? (laughs) You were, you were so shocked. I was, um, I was, I was By how much it hit me. I was shocked too, but I really enjoyed it a lot. And, uh, as of today, it's number eight. Um, my number eight, is one that's already been mentioned, and it definitely and, and it solidified its spot after my most recent rewatch, and that is Turning Red. Turning Aww. Red, uh, God, this movie's sweet. This movie's just so adorable and sweet. And you summed it up; it's just like a hug. And even as the straight white male, the, everything about it you like i totally this is amazing this is absolutely hilarious the you're right everything with um with uh for four town oh, for, for town yeah, about to say fortune no, i i was like it's not that jacob don't say it it's not that um but like everything with four town is i think and it's, it's, look, as someone who had a younger still has a younger sister but like had a younger sister in the 2000s yeah, like I get it. Like, and it's just, I watching watching it was just absolutely hilarious. I don't think Pixar have been able to do a movie this relatable for a certain generation in a while. Like, I, I think this is one of those just. This is probably Pixar's most special movie in the last decade for me personally, at least. I think it's the one that they've re- that really is just like this is this is something special. This is very funny, it's a, a, a very sweet, very endearing, um, very just gets really to like I I, I really love the mother daughter relationship, and I think it's just a, a really great story about family, and I I, I yeah I. I love this movie. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's why it's number eight on my list, and I'm very glad it's number eight. Amazing. 
My number eight um, is one I've mentioned before when we talked about films that we really don't want to get kicked off our list, but they might. Mm. This could go one of two ways right now. <laughs> it's Moonage Daydream. Okay. Not Minions. <laughs> <laughs> um, Moonage Daydream is one that I saw because I had a press screening. I was just, I probably would have missed it if I didn't go to that mm. because I'm not a huge Bowie fan. Kind of, I grew up with Labyrinth as we discovered last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't a huge Bowie fan, so I was like, this will be fine, I guess. But this is honestly more of an experience than a movie. And it's kind of like a psychedelic trip through Bowie's career and all his accolades and everything he's achieved in his life. Um, it's certainly maximalist and to call it a documentary is almost a slap, of, a slap in the face because it's so much more than that. Um, and I just, I've been obsessed with it ever since. I cannot wait to revisit it, but I'm also really sad that when I revisit it, it won't be on a huge screen. Mm. Um, because it's definitely enhanced in that format. Um, I honestly, if I would have pulled a Blake and flew to Melbourne to see it in IMAX, <laughs> but alas, did not do that. Um, but yeah, I honestly, no one's really talking about this movie and mm. I need everyone to. I don't know when it's out on streaming, but apparently it's available to rent on YouTube. So please do so. <laughs> and you two will fall. Like at the minute I saw this, I just. I think I was for the next week I was just obsessively listening to David Bowie and finding every scrap of his philosophy and his wisdom that I could find because I was just hooked and mesmerized by his story and his art and everything he did for his field. So yeah, Moonage Day. Okay. Taylor, your number seven. Number seven. Um Number seven for me is uh, led by an Australian icon in Tar. Don't give me that look. She, she is an icon. She is. Him. No, I, I was not giving you any look. You looked very confused. I looked a little confused. I was like, where are we going with this? <laughs> we're going to Cape Blanchett Town is where we're going. Okay. Um, this movie is great. Um, I don't even really know where to start with this one just because this movie, I think maybe more than any of the other ones I'm going to talk about is one that you just kind of have to see. Like you can talk about it and say, oh, it's about, uh, you know, a musician. It's about, uh, a professor it's about this woman and kind of her journey through this specific time in her life. And it's about the rise and the fall and her ups and downs. And you can say all those things, but I just think that without witnessing what Kate is able to do in this film, in this role, like there's just not really much you can say about it that, I feel like can convey it because I've seen it compared to a lot of different things and people trying to explain what it is. And it's just very singular. Um, it's something I think is very singular because we're doing it through the lens of a female character. And I don't think that's something we get a lot for this particular kind of story. Um, usually it's through a very male perspective 
Um, especially when it's a story involving, um, you know, a- abuse or misconduct or that kind of territory, which makes sense. Um, I get why that's usually explored through that lens, but I think it's so interesting that we have this kind of perspective um, because it's not only showing us that there's someone who is really brilliant in her field and has clearly kind of neglected everything else in her life to get to that point. It's like I, you know, alluded to with the Fablemans as an artist, what is it that's important to you and what part, how much of yourself do you put into that and how much do you neglect everything else? And what, what does that look like for each kind of individual artist in what they do? And for her, it's clearly something that she is willing to do or be whoever she needs to she'll do whatever she needs to do she'll be whoever she needs to be to get to this point that she's at where she's this very well-respected well-recognized figure in her field which is a very male-dominated field and then we get to watch as she gets to this point where she thinks she's invincible and we watch her be her own downfall and I don't think we get really any stories like that where we get to watch, again, someone who identifies as a female, as a character, getting to have that kind of messy, rough kind of journey. Usually when we get that, it's very sanitized or there's a redemption or it's very like, you know, women women's stories have to be very clean and they have to be very, you know, black and white. There's not allowed to be moral grays and there's not allowed to be uncomfortable things and this movie is very uncomfortable in a lot of ways in terms of having to watch her reckon with who she is as a person and where it ultimately ends up at the end of the film um and i really hope that that's something we get to have more of because i think you know as people we're all like like we're all like that we all have our rough messy parts and i hate that in media and like movies and television specifically it's like we're still kind of stuck in like our manny manic pixie dream girl kind of thing Mm. where we don't get to see this side um and so i really enjoy this movie a lot haven't been able to rewatch it yet unfortunately like i really want to see it again uh, because i think it's such a powerhouse performance and i really like to be able to sit with it again but yeah that ended up being my number seven um, before I get to my number seven, I just realized that I had my three, my eight, nine, and 10 were very kind of all, you know, very family oriented, like film, films about family, films about love, film, films that have, uh, you know, uh, love stories in the middle of it, but in non-conventional ways or, anyway. uh, number seven is not, I mean, it, it kind of is that, <laughs> uh, it's just a fun action movie that has a lot more that does also try and say some some more stuff about uh colonialism and about uh the the about western civilization and their impact on other cultures and that is uh god this movie's fun this movie's just fun <laughs> it's so nuts and insane and over the top and crazy and violent and action packed and it just hits 
every single one of my man like <laughs> I am just a male and I don't care. This movie's awesome. <laughs> Do you know how long it took me to get you to watch this movie? It's <laughs> three hours. And like I but I going in had no idea what to expect from this. I, Absolutely. I was no basically idea. like, watch it, don't, just don't. Just go in and just watch it. Well, and this the thing is like I I knew of it and then you watched it. And then when you watched it, you were like, Oh my god, this movie is amazing. You have to see it. And I went, Okay, wait, what? Like I, I just was suddenly like, Okay, now I need to see this to just see what this is about. You gotta and, see it to believe it. Like, yeah, look, yeah. You, everyone's you, like, "It's crazy, it's insane." You, I was like, "Yeah, okay." Yeah. Story. I was like, "Oh yeah." Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is just this is probably one of the most fun movies of the year. Like where it's just this is so insane and chaotic, and nothing makes sense. And I don't care. <laughs> I love every single frame of this movie, and it's so over the top. It's so just. You go. You ha- You cannot go in with any sense of realism and any sense of like, oh, this this is a actual story. Like this is a you know, like th- this is something that is that ha- is grounded in reality. It's not. It's over the top and crazy, and I don't care. I love it. I just want to because when I watched this, I made a group chat with us, <laughs> and I was like. So I'm watching RRR fully now. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, I was like, white dude being racist, dance battle. <laughs> and that just sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's uh, the thing that I just love about this, how it balls to the walls crazy it is and how it just does not care at all. It's just like, nope, we're going nuts. And it's made me want to try and discover more Indian cinema. Because if it's all like that, yeah, like all right, let's let's do this. So I, I yeah, that's that's a goal for me this year is to try and watch some more Indian cinema, try and watch some more movies from these people. Um, yeah, I, I'm very. The, I loved this movie. This movie is just one of the best times I have watching movies this year, and I loved it. Amazing. Yeah, number seven. My number seven. Um, it takes. It took a bit for me to digest. And every time I think about it, I definitely grow to love it more, especially by hearing um, interviews with the director and the actors and the screenwriters and even the composers. Like I'm literally just trying to get every single information out of this film, every single bit of information out of this film. And it's bones and all, which is why I said it's a lot to digest. (laughs) Um, And like we've talked about this at length, but – it is, like I said before, a really tender love story and hits all its punches in the gore and the violence but also at the same time tells this beautiful story of two people just falling in love that maybe they aren't meant to be and they live very unconventional lives but they choose to be together anyway and have a tragic ending and I just I love it and I give way better thoughts on it in our episode about this in the menu. But I just think what Guanino is able to do as a director in all his movies, but specifically this one where that balancing act of horror and romance, like not many people do it well. Mm. It's very difficult, especially those two genres to mesh and have it flow well. But 
Guan Nino is a master of his craft and he knows what the hell he's doing. So, hell yeah, bones and all. Everyone needs to see it. All right, Taylor, what is your number six? All right, number six for me is, again, following in the trend of the last two movies where I went into this going, I have no expectations and I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I've heard good things and I've heard that uh, it's a bit of a wild time. So full theater, let's do this. Triangle of Sadness is one of the best theater experiences (laughs) I have had probably in my entire life. Because I'm telling you right now, there were like maybe three people in that theater that were prepared for what we were watching. Like, I'm so thankful for that screening mm. that it was sold out because you can't get a sold out screening now. Like, you, you not not in a theater that packed and that on in that theater. Yeah, even when I saw it, the only cinemas it was playing at it was like max like thirty seats in the cinema. Yeah. It was tiny cinemas. But one of my favorite theater experiences I've had, particularly here in Australia, because it was a pretty rowdy uh, audience reaction for what we typically get over here, Mm. which I thought was great. Um, Yeah, this movie just... I don't even know how to talk about it (laughs) anymore. Like, we talked about it when we covered it, like, in length in a previous episode, and I kind of was able to get my thoughts together about it. But... I would just advise people to go watch it. Like, don't watch the trailers. Don't, like, because the, the trailer for it, I think, is unfortunate uh, yeah. in what it reveals. Uh, but, look, this movie has an incredible cast. I think the script is phenomenal. I think the pacing is great. Um, I just think it it's so funny and it's so topical and it's so i don't know it's just it's just a great commentary on a lot of things in a very smart way um it's very intentional and it's very um it doesn't shy away from what it's trying to say but it never feels um like unpleasant or obnoxious like you're it's in your face about what it wants to say but you're enjoying it while it's happening um because the tone is great um and the performances are so believable and um, I think watching the ending of this movie is something that'll stick with me for a really long time mm. um, for a lot of reasons, but I think it kind of has the perfect ending. It has a very eerie ending. Um, and yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure how to talk about this movie just because it's it's again it's another one of those that i think you kind of just have to see it because i can describe it to you and you look at me and go what the fuck are you describing to me like did you really just tell me that there's a whole you know 20 minute sequence of people just throwing up and bodily fluids everywhere and a, a ship basically capsized is that what you're telling me is happening yes yes i'm telling you it's happening and then i'm going to tell you that woody harrelson locks himself in a room with the pa system and a very drunk Russian guy? Is it a Russian yeah. guy? And they just start telling everyone on board all this nonsense that is hilarious and horrifying. And it's just this really insane, chaotic thing that you have to watch to be able to believe and to understand why it works so well. Um, 
And I just think it's a great, I think it's a great commentary on class and how we view people um, through very different lenses, depending on what side of the line we're on. Um, And I think that really comes to fruition at the end of the film in a really spectacular way. Um, And yeah, I just, I love this movie a lot. Like I really hope it ends up getting some awards love because I really think it deserves it. Um, my number six is one very similar to Triangle of Sadness that we've already mentioned today uh, in that it has a lot to say about class. It has a lot to say about uh, the way society treats wealth and that is the menu. Uh, I, re- I li- And we said this in the episode, I loved the menu. The, the menu, this, is, this was one that I walked out of I just having such a visceral reaction of just I of like really connecting with a movie and really just loving what it was trying to say, uh, how what it how it's you again it's another movie that uses food to talk about to talk about filmmaking. Uh, the other movie that is Ratatouille that is the other one that does it. If you watch Ratatouille, Ratatouille and the menu double feature. Yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> But um, I like that's just there's a lot about this movie that I just re- that I really connect with and I really gra- and was able to latch on to. I think Annie Taylor-Joy is incredible in this. I think the way she – what she's able to do with this role, um, same with uh, Ralph Fiennes. And I just think a lot of – the themes and the way it's it's conveying its messaging is such a unique and interesting approach that I just, I I really love this movie. I really connect with it. And it's one of my favorites of the year. Okay. My number six, we're on six, right? Yes, we're on six. Um, The Banshees of Inner Sharon. When I first watched this film, it was only four stars for me and it wasn't in my top ten. Uh, it was like, but it was in the top like fifteen. It was very close. I think because of my cinema experience, for reason, I I'm not going to get into it. But I was very anxious the entire time and couldn't really focus on the film. So because I was by myself and just not in the greatest headspace. Headspace, <laughs> but I guess that was the perfect setting for the film <laughs> and what it offered because. I, I love Martin McDonough and everything he does with direction and screenplay, especially screenplay. He's obviously a playwright and that's his background. So that's um, his strong suit, but his directing definitely takes the platform in this film. Um, and on a second watch, I bumped it up to five stars. Cause I was like, you got, you got to give it up. You got to just completely engross yourself in this film and everything it does with the themes it deals with from the like friendship and what are you going to do with your life once you have nothing left to give and how will people remember you? It just deals with those themes. Like Taylor said, just like interwoven with like drama and comedy. And that's also something Martin McDonough is expertly does. Um, And He's just a great storyteller and it does follow the same kind of formula as his other films. Um, But I say why fix something that's not broken because it's clearly working and 
He's a really, he's a filmmaker. He's not a new filmmaker, but he's a filmmaker I'm just like always going to be excited to see a new film from. Um, I really, really love this movie and it's definitely kind of endlessly rewatchable for me because I kind of pick up on something new every time I see it, whether it be something new I appreciate or something new that I just didn't really think about the first time. Mm. And the performances in this, I was going to, name them in my like favorite performances of 2022, but I wanted to wait till this because it's basically everyone <laughs> in the film. Like Brendan Gleeson, his just tone that he has throughout the film is so magnetic and like captivating. And then Colin Farrell is my pick for best actor. And whether that be just because I loved him so much and he's one of my favorite actors of all time or just because I genuinely think he will win, I'm not sure, but he has a career best performance here and same with Barry Cogan. Um, I really hope he gets a supporting actor nod, but I mean, we'll see. I, and same with Carrie Condon. I think she does have a shot at the best, at the supporting actress. I think she does too. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm really ready for this to get heaps of love at awards season. So yeah, banshees. All right, Taylor, we're into the top five. We're into the top five. All right, I'm going to preface this by saying one out of five of these films is going to continue on the trend that we've kind of been going on where it's like, oh, it's more like artsy, like awards, (laughs) like adjacent kind of stuff. So like the fifth slot is going to be that, and then we're just going to really, really switch gears <laughs> in the top four, and people are going to be like, wow, I respected you all the way up until this point, and now it's just got nothing left for you. So just to warn everyone, we're about to, it's about to just flip completely after this, so enjoy this while it lasts. Number five is a film we've talked about already. Uh, Bones and All is in my fifth spot. Our, fir- I- our first... Our everyone. first trifecta. Our first, it's on the list for everyone. Mm-hmm. Bones and All is a movie I was highly anticipating because I think Luca Guadagnino is so interesting. I think he's a great storyteller. And Timothy Chalamet, I think, is one of the best actors we have in his age group, if not the best right now. And he continues to pick really interesting projects. Um, in a way that I don't think anyone else in his age group has been doing consistently. And we've talked about it when we reviewed the movie, but Taylor Russell, I think, is starting to do that because she's in a very different place in her career. But this is a very great step for her to kind of do that. Um, This movie is exactly the kind of movie I'm so glad is made right now because of the way that film discourse and just life discourse, I guess, is right now, where people are so concerned with depiction equaling endorsement. Like, I've seen so many people who either haven't seen the film, I've just heard about the film, or whatever, say, oh, you're romanticizing cannibalism. You're trying to trying to bring cannibalism. And I'm like, no. <laughs> let's Let's just... Let's calm down and understand that to me, this kind of movie is why we make movies like to explore things, whether it's comfortable to watch or uncomfortable to watch, or it's something that uh, is completely 
impossible, but we want to imagine it's possible. Or if it's something like this, where it's like, no, this is a really uncomfortable topic that is a real thing. Like, it, we don't want to talk about it, but there, it's a real thing. Like, there are cannibals that have existed, that do exist, that will exist. And we've taken he's taken that concept and put it into a different world. Like, the world that this is in is clearly not ours. It's a world where there's a different kind of cannibalist society that exists on the fringes of this society. And we get to see what that looks like to Luca in this context. And I think that you touched on it, Jacob. It's it's a really sweet story at the center of it. It's a love story. It's a story about growing up and trying to figure out where you fit in or how you fit in or even if you can fit in and what that means and what that looks like. And um, I just think that the way the film was made is so brilliant because it gives you things about these characters like that in a general sense that you can connect to. Like so many of us understand what it feels like to feel like you don't fit in or feel like you're different or feel like your life doesn't have a direction or you, you know, you just are unhappy with who you are or where your life is going. And, I think it's a credit to the script. I think it's a credit to the directing, but I also think it's a credit to the acting because they're both such compelling characters through, you know, like the writing and everything, but also through the performance. And I really just think that it's it's a story and a movie that I wish people were talking about more. Like it's on the very, very outer fringes of like the award contender type of mm. conversations. Unfortunately, it's not really one that's been getting talked about very much at all. Um, but I do just think, and again, we did a big review on this where I spend a lot more time actually like diving into it and talking about it. But I just think that it's so brilliant uh, for so many reasons. And uh, if you can stomach a couple of hardcore scenes. Like, they're not very long. If you can get through the couple of small chunks of the really kind of graphic <coughs> stuff, the rest of it um, is more just, you know, it's it's not visually shocking It outside of those couple of moments. It's a really sweet, endearing, relatable story um, that I think everyone needs to check out. Okay. Um, my number five is one that is the other one that I am convinced is on all three lists and is Triangle of Sadness. This is, again, one of the best movie-going experiences we had this year. Um, seeing this with a massive crowd, it's incredibly funny. And, I, I, and again, everything it's trying to say about class and, and – and um, society and how we and how we treat those lesser than us are, I, I think is fascinating and incredibly smart and intelligent, but it presents it in a way that is incredibly funny. And basically it doesn't ever feel like it's preaching 
to you. It, it it's very much feels just like this is just a go experience a weekend from hell with these people. And that's what this is. And I just think it's a very fun, very entertaining, very funny film that has something more to say and it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Amazing. <laughs> we'll see. Um, my number five is The Fablemans, probably highest on everyone's list, wow. I guess. Um, this one, like Taylor, like really didn't expect to love it and I think that's why I loved it so much because I didn't have any expectations because I'm not a huge Spielberg person. Um, like, yeah, we talked about this last week, but I guess I'll add that I was just really moved by especially the elements of the love of cinema. It's not done cheesily and it really touched me and made me tear up, especially even just the opening scene where he watches his first movie and he's like just gobsmacked and can't fucking believe what he just watched. Um, it's really special and it's a really personal film for Spielberg, which I just I love when directors tap into that side of them. Um as well as the family elements of the film. Every character does the work. Even the children actors are pretty epic. Um, And just Sammy and his, like, filmmaking processes and just how he grows into becoming a filmmaker, I think, comes from within himself loving the craft, but then also even when he first sees how his mum reacts to Mm watching the little train film he made um, and seeing that how it can not only impact him but spectators and the people he loves and that's when he decides to go gung-ho and really dive into that as a passion of his Um, and I really do like just adore this movie and I just used the cursed word. (laughs) (laughs) I've used it about five times so don't worry. (laughs) Um, and yeah, if you want to hear more, I guess, listen to yesterday's episode, (laughs) but I think, yeah, like I said, this came out of nowhere for me and I do hope it wins best picture. I've got it up there, but it's fluctuating, but I think this is a really honest best picture winner and I would not be mad if it won. All right. Taylor, number four. All right, this is where we start to get off the rails and everyone's going to go, why? Oh, you, yeah, my, my number four is real off the rails. Well, we might have the mm-hmm. same one. Okay. Uh, I don't think mine's off the rails. It's probably yours is. Okay. I'm going to... By off the rails, I'm meaning... Well, you'll see. Never mind. Uh, my number four spot is the Batman. Okay. Uh, so this movie is one that I didn't really think I cared that much about. Um, I was kind of intrigued because Matt Reeves being attached was something that was at least a direction that I thought I could be interested in. But as soon as they were like, and guess what? You thought you weren't interested? We're giving you Robert Pattinson. (laughs) That's right. Uh That's right. You heard us. We said Robert Pattinson (laughs) is going to be, we're giving you Pattinson. (laughs) What are you going to do about it? And I went, you know what? That is probably the most inspired choice because nobody had that on their list. No, no one sat there and went, you know who looks exactly like they could play Batman? That Twilight kid. 
<laughs> nobody Epic. had nobody had that on their list. And I thought it was such an interesting choice for him to make as someone who had basically cursed their entire existence after having done Twilight, but had but it had let him make the movies he actually wanted to make because he had the kind of financial stability for a while to be able to actually do it. And then for him to get to come back around and clearly have a much more positive experience this time with a kind of blockbustery film. Um, I really think he just nailed it. I think you can tell that he deeply understands this character and this version of this character that he's playing. I think Paul Dano in it is again, inspired casting. I think he's phenomenal in the film. Um, Getting to see Andy Serkis in a non-motion capture role is always a win. Yeah. Like, he's a legend when it comes to mocap, obviously. But getting to just see him as an actor, be an actor, is something I think we don't get to see enough of because mm. he's brilliant at that as yeah. well. Like, he is just an icon. Uh, and so I think having him as that role is again inspired like all the casting in this you look at it and go well i didn't pick that but damn okay great love that love that for us again colin farrell yeah knocking it out of the park just being legendary mm-hmm. zoe kravitz legendary like what kind of what kind of world are we living in that this is the cast that we get to, to like it's just yeah dc is such a mess okay <laughs> how did we get this how how was this allowed to happen? That's Miracle. all. That's that's my point here. Um, and I've watched this movie three times. We saw it once in the theater, went back the next day and saw it again in the theater, and then we rewatched it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Now, um, and it just really holds up. It's so well directed. The cinematography is gorgeous. The score is outstanding, and I'm mad at the Academy. <laughs> Very mad. <laughs> Um, but uh, at least the BAFTAs know what they're talking about, I guess. Um, <laughs> score is legendary. Cinematography is beautiful. The world building, I think, is my favorite Gotham outside of um, Burton mm. at this point, because Burton's always been my favorite, just because I really am a fan of that kind of aesthetic. Just pure goth. Like, just pure pure goth is where my soul lies, <laughs> okay? Like, if, you do, if people don't know me, like, I look at that version of Gotham... And I'm just like, this is my soul. <laughs> this is this is my dream. Um, so this is probably my favorite Gotham outside of that. Maybe tied with um, the super campy uh, Schumacher. Schumacher films. Because again, my soul was like, you know what? Slay. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. It's just fun. Like, mm. I'm very, very goth and camp at the same time somehow. I don't know. Um, but I love the world building. I think it's so specific to what Reeves vision is like Mm. it's and I think that's the reason I love it so much I think it like the Schumacher and like the Burton Gotham's is very distinctive whereas I love the Nolan films but I that could be Chicago that could be New York that could be you know Atlanta like it could be pretty much any metropolitan skyscrapery kind of city which is fine but to me like this is definitely falls more into the Nolan side of it where it is kind of steeped more in realism, but it just feels unique, unique Mm. uh, in that way. So I love the Gotham that we get. I love that we're getting very different Bruce Wayne than we've ever gotten. Like he's so much earlier in his uh, 
you know, whatever crusade. vigilante crusade business he's got going on. <laughs> Normally we get a very, someone who very clearly understands the line between Bruce Wayne and Batman and clearly knows how to play those roles uh, in a very separate way. Mm. Whereas in this movie, he wants nothing to do with being Bruce Wayne ever. Like mm. he doesn't know what that person actually looks like. He doesn't, you know, the one time he leaves the, mansion to go out in public he looks like he'd literally rather be anywhere else and doesn't want anyone to talk to him about anything which hashtag same like I, <laughs> I feel you there man i don't i totally get not wanting to deal with any of that but i just think it's such a cool version of this character that we get to spend time with um i think it's a story that very much understands who batman is as a character by the end you look at it and you go this was a journey of him figuring out what Batman actually stands for and what he mm. wants Batman to stand for versus, you know, what he thought he was doing versus the perception of who he was to other people. And then by the end, we get to see him kind of reconcile with that and how to move forward with that, yeah. which we've never really seen before. Cause mm. again, he's always been kind of settled, settled in who he is and what he symbolizes. And we've never really gotten to see, how that comes to be, at least in live action. I don't yeah. watch a lot of the animated stuff. Mm. Um, but I just love this movie. It's by far the best comic book superhero movie we've gotten this year. Like, by far. Yeah. Um, and it's just really cool. And I hope DC keeps their grubby hands away <laughs> from it. It lets Matt Reeves continue to do what he wants and just don't look at it. Don't breathe near it. Don't even think about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, we'll, we'll be talking about it again. Don't worry. Um, my number four is, this is the most visceral theater experience I had. I'm the only one here who got to experience this movie in a theater. I'm so glad I did. Uh, it was very busy too. And this is one of, this is, I think my favorite movie going experience of the year, mm. but, but bar none. And that is Barbarian. It's my number I, four too. I love this movie. I love this movie so much. And this is my favorite horror film. This is the the I the, honestly I think this is one of the most fun I have had of just like this is why I love watching like this is why I just love these type of movies. Mm -hmm. Um it made me it made me go home and be like I need to watch horror movies. I was meant to go see Amsterdam afterwards and I went, nope, I'm going home and watching Good horror decision. movies. Yeah, but that was that was literally I went home and I watched horror movies for the next week and a half. It was just, that was just what I watched. I was just watched I was in a horror mood at that point. This movie is so, so much fun. The text threads I have from both of you watching this movie. I actually had mine up ready. Hands so. down. <laughs> I think the single greatest things I've experienced. Um uh, this is just one of those movies where you just love seeing it with a crowd. You love seeing it with other people and experiencing their reactions to it. And, um, yeah, th this is – I just can't get a smile off my face talking about this movie. I, I think um, it is such an incredible bait and switch. It's such an incredible uh, moment. The, half, the, the halfway point of this movie is – Easily the most what the fuck moment I had all year of just wait what 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 <laughs> and 
I, I don't think I I don't think we've had another moment like that in a while, and I don't and the just pure ecstasy of joy I had watching this is just which I, I think is a little fucked up because of how how much this like just what this movie is, is actually it, it is of fu- just fucked up <laughs> yeah of like oh this is just so much fun um but yeah the, the uh, barbarian I. This was one that I was determined had to be on my top 10 this year. Absolutely. And the more doing it, the higher it just kept going. It just kept going higher and higher and higher. And I just went, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> this, is, this is where it is. So I got the genius idea to watch this alone at, <laughs> at home when you were like at work or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. And then you're like, can you tell me when it happens? Smiley face. <laughs> and I said, I don't know what that person. means. And now I'm terrified because I have a feeling I'll know when it happens. And you said, yep, you will. And I said, fuck. Okay. And then I said, I have such a bad feeling about this, but I don't know what I'm waiting for. I don't know if I can do this. Oh God. Nothing has even happened yet. <laughs> Do not go down that second set of stairs. What the fuck? <laughs> like, and that was just the beginning of my, but that was like, that was the message chain that you got. That's what I got from you. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Cause you, cause when I first saw it, you were working and I, and I had to go see it and I just was like, okay, I have to waste seven hours. So I'm going to go see this. Yeah. And then, yeah, the way, when you were watching it, I was working. So uh, yeah, and then I was like, okay, this kind of sucked. And then HBO kept cutting out. Mm. At that point, like my stream for through HBO Max was, would cut out. Oh no! And then I was like, well, this is awesome. And finally got it to work again. And then I said, why is she still going further in? <laughs> damn it! And then I said, oh god, she found Keith. And then it's just four strings of what the fuck but clearly with more letters messed up that don't actually say what the fuck as i'm freaking out and then just in all capitals that is not where i thought this was going and that was my experience with this movie yeah this is my number four of the year as well it's uh like yeah (laughs) when i told you i was watching it about an hour in, you said, how are we feeling? And I was like, oh, I, I actually haven't started watching it yet, but great, now I have to be feeling something. <laughs> and then I started watching it, and when it happened, <laughs> I was like, bruh! <laughs> I legit screamed. And, like, I literally, I was watching this, like, in my bed. It was, like, 9 p.m., my parents were asleep, and... It happened, and I literally screamed, which if you know me, horror movies don't get me, but this one got me. And I was like, I was just like, like just literally high-pitched scream from a 21-year-old woman. And then I was like, what the fuck is happening? I have so many audible reactions to this movie. Where is this going? Why is this dude in this car? <laughs> and then at the end, I was just like, fuck it, five stars. <laughs> I I got so lucky with this movie too because I had to do cinema che- a cinema check for it and it was straight after the moment. Like when I walked in to do a cinema check, it was when he was in the car. Mm. And I was like, and, and then, and I didn't realize until 
I you saw it, it yeah. and then the, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Oh man, if I waited five minutes earlier, <laughs> I would have been so mad." Yeah. Um, no, but look, Barbarian, one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, just it's, easily. It's an incredible addition to the modern horror, and it delivers. It like I mean, derives from like Wes Craven and all the greats um, of like from the nineties onwards. And it's genuinely scary, which honestly we don't really get <laughs> nowadays. Um, and it's crazy, it's wild, and what Zach Kroger is able to deliver is just astounding. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Taylor, you're number three. Oh, okay. three. All right. We're in the top three, guys. <clears throat> so, this movie, I was very torn about going in to see it because as a story i hate this normally every version i've seen of this up until now i have had a distaste for at the very least but one of my favorite directors ever was like this is gonna be my next movie and i went well (laughs) shit okay i guess i have to give this a shot And then, went in, saw it, by the end of the movie, I literally, I think Jacob's shirt was, like, soaked through (laughs) with how much I was sobbing at the end of this. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio (laughs) destroyed me. Mm. Like, I was not ready for how emotional this movie made me. Because, like I said, no version, uh, other version of Pinocchio I've ever seen like, I've just never liked the story of it. Um, even as a kid, like, I just was never... It was one of those animated movies I saw once and then was like, I want nothing to do with this ever again. But this version of the movie is so different in terms of... It's not just you following around this wooden puppet that wants to be a quote-unquote real boy and is making mistakes and trying to learn what it means to be you know a person and and all that like this movie does have that for sure but this movie has such a big emphasis on geppetto learning what it actually means to be a father which is such a beautiful thing because the movie pulls no punches it throws you right in there when it's like we're gonna make you fall in love with this father and son and then we're gonna kill the son in a really horrific way (laughs) Yeah, and he's just like alright buckle up folks here we go but then you get you know Geppetto getting his second chance to be a father but th- the story really gives you a focus on him and him making mistakes and him having to learn what it means to have that kind of relationship again um, and I just think that it's so Again, like there are so many movies this year that are in, you know, my top 10 or in my, you know, movies I've enjoyed very much that deal with the theme of mortality and how we deal with it and what it means from different perspectives and and what the cost of that is. And this movie is no exception. It shows, you know, Pinocchio dealing with what's what's the cost of not of being immortal essentially of not actually being a real boy who gets his one chance and then he's done and having to make a choice of what means more to him of having 
immortality or having mortality and getting to be with those that you love and not having to constantly outlive them again and again. And, and it's just such a deeper take on this kind of story than I've ever seen done before. Like now that I've seen this, I dislike all the other versions even more (laughs) because I'm like, they never tried to go this deep Mm -hmm. into that kind of thing. Um, but clearly the potential has always been there to do it. Um, and the music like destroyed my soul a lot. Like, that I just wasn't ready for it. And then I was like, well, I'm crying at a wooden boy <laughs> singing and doing things. And I'm not, I can't, I can't do this. It's like, it was like 10 AM or something yeah. on like a, I don't know, like a Wednesday. And I'm like, why? No, I can't. why are we showing this at 10 AM? I'm not ready for this kind of existential crisis this early in the morning. Um, but the stop motion is gorgeous. Like it is one of the most aesthetically striking movies we've gotten this year. Um, stylistically, it has Del Toro's hands all over it in the best possible way. Like just some of the designs that they came up with for this feel so in tune with what we're used to from him stylistically, but still very much unique um, and served this kind of story very well. Um, and I just thought it hit, it strike a, struck a really great tone I thought the voice cast was incredible. Like it was so well done from that perspective. Um, It's just, it's just so you can tell it was made with so much passion um, and it has something to say even beyond the whole mortality storyline. Cause we're also dealing with war and we're dealing with, um, you know, enlisting children essentially like, and, and dealing with that whole kind of thing. Like it's, it's just such a such a respectful take on this story where it really gives it the weight I think it deserves and has never really gotten until this point. Um, and I just love that I love that it came out in a year where we got the probably the most morally bankrupt version of Pinocchio we've ever gotten. Yeah. And then we also got this one like that. D- Disney took the biggest possible L in the world, not only because they released that movie, but somehow they got so unlucky that it was also the year that Del Toro's came out. Yeah. And so literally, I think I heard people talk about the Disney version when it came out and no one has ever <laughs> spoken a single word about it ever again. Yeah. And it was not positive things. No, 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 no. I saw one clip out of context on my timeline when it came out of like the clock, the clock, like the clocks where it's like the shameless IP just coming out of clocks for like two whole minutes. Yep. That's the only clip I've seen from Disney's Pinocchio. And let me tell you, I never need to see another clip <laughs> In I watched the whole thing. So. Oh, no. <laughs> no. 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 Anyway, Guillermo del Toro came to save us from whatever the crap that he was like, listen, no, he just knew. Something in his heart was like, I'm going to have to okay, save. Guys, it's it's okay. going to have to save these people because no. Um, uh, my number three is, I know it's on yours. It could be on yours. I don't know yet. Uh, it's the most fun I had in a movie theater all year. Easily. This is the most, this is easily the most fun movie of the year. It's the most up. It's the most, I think, just 
can put a smile on literally anybody. And I think every single person around the world can just go, yep, this is just fun. It's saved theaters. It's one. It is the future best picture winner. And that is <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. This movie's just awesome. There's, it's just awesome. And like, and you can't even really explain why. Like, outside of just, it's just a good old fashioned blockbuster. And they just do it so well and without any cynicism, without any modern day just tropes from of of franchise filmmaking of of of, studio, of what appears to be studio interference, like any of that. It's just this is just good old fashioned. We wanted to make a movie, and they did, and it just is so much fun you can see the love in it in every single frame you can just feel the immense joy everyone's having making this movie and i think also it's incredibly heartfelt i think there is a genuine heartfelt a genuine heart to this movie that makes it a a bit a more more of than just a a fun blockbuster. I think that there is something that it's trying to say. I think that there is things in here that is making it deeper than it actually, than on the surface. But I overall just, this is just fun. That's like, it's just a fun blockbuster. And I just, we just, it reminds you of the type of movies we don't get anymore. And Tom Cruise and James Cameron are apparently the only two people in the world who can make them anymore. So, Thank God we got both of them this year, I guess. Um, <laughs> Lena, what is your number three? All I'll say, it's just, it's not Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Top Gun Maverick is number 18. Oh. So, yeah. Anyway, um, my honestly, my top three are very interchangeable. Like Taylor said, on any given day, it will fluctuate. But for now, my number three is Nope, Jordan Peele. I love that man. He is my dad. Everything he does, I will just eat right up. Like, he can do no wrong in my eyes. All his movies are five-star movies to me. Maybe I'm biased with this one. And I do, I, when I watched it again, I was like, you know, there's this and there's that. That could probably get tweaked a bit. But I just think his ability, like what he does with horror and his ability to make it so layered that even now, after how many months it's been out, I still find new meanings in what he's trying to do. Mm. And whenever I watch his movies for the first time, I don't get it the first time. And I love that because it means I can revisit it and I can pick up on things and I can listen to endless interviews and just dissect the movie fully. And he is just masterful at that so anytime i hear a jordan peele project project is coming out i go shit crazy and i'm obsessed the cast as well like is insane daniel kaluuya is definitely one of my favorite actors of all time and his performance as oj is just epic like he knows what he's doing and he knows what kind of character he has to be and he just does it with such finesse and the same with kiki palmer um, her character is just like basically the complete opposite to OJ, but they somehow like mesh together so beautifully. And also 
Brandon Perea and Steven Yun, Yun, um, they're both like kind of sidelined, but still manage to sneak in and like steal the show. And oh, this movie is just <laughs> like insane. And I really wish I hadn't watched a trailer when I went into this because you kind of knew what it was about, but then the trailer solidified that mm. and kind of showed you some things that you probably wish you had just waited to the movie to see. Mm. Um, so if you haven't somehow for some stupid reason, haven't seen this film yet, please just go into it blind. Like all Jordan Peele's movies, basically you really just have to dive into it without thinking. And that's how you'll love it the most. So yeah. Nope. Number three. So debating whether or not we'll get you to go now or later, because I think because everything everyone who knows you know, knows what the one and two are. They just don't know the order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, do we go ask go get us to do two and our twos, and then you can do your two and one? If you want, Jacob and I had this conversation today. We were like, we know what it is, but which? Well, which I have way? no idea which one it is. I, I'm like, all right, then you guys go first. All right, um, my number two is the movie that was number one all year. And then I rewatched it, <laughs> and and it's still an incredible movie. It's my number two movie of the year. It's just a little long, mm-hmm. but I don't care because I love this movie and it's the Batman. Um, you said everything perfectly. Robert Pattinson is just phenomenal as this character. Matt Reeves, what he does with this world is. This is the Batman I have wanted to see ever since a child reading the comics. It's the one it takes what Burton did really well, which was creating this gothic sense of atmosphere and uh, of scale. And while also then taking what Nolan did, which is presenting it with seriousness and in a real world. And it just combines both of them into a way that we haven't seen before. And, a way that I truly loved. Um, the other thing that I that really resonates for me the most is this is to me the best version of Batman we've seen because it's the first time that they actually give him to be a hero. Batman's a hero. He's a superhero guy. Like, and that's what I love about this movie is he's not just like I understand Batman is the dark, dark and scary caped crusader who who uses fear, but he uses fear on criminals but he is still a hero to the eyes of people, to the eyes of Gotham, to the eyes of the people of Gotham and to children. He is a hero. And I thought this was the first time I'd ever seen that of actually presented outside, outside of the Schumacher movies, but the, the Schumacher, the way they do it is because of the campy nature. You can get away with it. This one was, they respected the fear, but also showed, no, this, he is a hero to people. The people, are inspired and look up to him. And I also really love the idea of he can inspire the worst type of people. I really love that they, that they actually dive into that idea of you being you, you being Batman inspires people to do the worst because you are, you are a criminal. And I really love that idea. I, I, I thought the way the themes that it handles, um, Again, another commentary on class and wealth this year. It's ama- this this really has been a year of just commentary on class and wealth, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite fascinating. And I, 
just so much about this movie just completely resonates with me and I love it. I love this movie so much. And yeah, you, 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 you summed it up perfectly before with how much with, with everything around it. So yeah. All right. What's your number two? My number two was also my number one for a long time. Well, not that long because we saw it anyway. And I'm just going to say it's Triangle of Sadness. As my number two. And I bumped it down because on a rewatch, I found that my other film was, I loved it more and more every time I rewatched it. And Triangle of Sadness as well, I picked up a lot on the second watch, but I definitely, it was the theatre experience and it was everything else that went into it on watching it on a first go that really was spectacular. Um and Taylor said that like there's probably three people in that theater that knew what they were expecting. And while I was, I definitely like it, like went crazy over the line. But having like an obsession with Ruben Osland, I definitely knew his style. Whereas it was really fascinating that you guys didn't. <laughs> um, so I kind of knew what I was walking into, but it still floored me and. Just the, like, kind of highbrow versus lowbrow um, commentary is something I really enjoy in art and really lean towards. And it's done perfectly in this film with big reveals that just... I I don't want to spoil it because it's just, (laughs) like, so much... Like, so many people just haven't seen it and need to. And I... I still don't know, like like fucking Taylor said, I still don't know how to talk about it because it's so, like, you just have to see it. Mm. And uh, there's nothing I can tell you to, like, persuade you to or, like, make you want to see it more. It's just an amazing film from an amazing director and I wish it was getting more awards buzz, but it's not, unfortunately. And... Just, I don't know. Triangle of Sadness, dude. It's just epic. Just do it. All right. Reveal. What I it- actually have no idea what your number one is. Yeah. And as soon as you say it, I feel like I'm going to be like, oh, duh. But Fair. at the moment, no, okay. no, no clue. Okay. So that's interesting. All right. All right, Taylor. What is your number two movie and also revealing what your number one movie of the year is? Do you have a guess? Like, do you think you know what it is? I, I, I think I, fl- I think you flipped them. I think you have. I think you. I think you. Flipped you think them. I flipped them from where yep. it was? Yeah. Okay. I think. I think Elvis is number two. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> where are you going? Come on. <laughs> I'll just do the opposite then. All right. Who's correct? <sighs> Guys. Listen, <laughs> I really think this should just be a co, a co, a co shared uh, a tie tie for number one position because I'm just gonna do this as like a joint thing to like talk up to this. Okay, because we've turned this into a thing. Yeah, these two movies are like the reasons that I love these two movies are so wildly, like, they're so on opposite ends from each other. For those who 
maybe don't actually know what we're talking about. We're talking about Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, and we're talking about Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> and Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is one that I had such high hopes for because I adore Baz. Like, I think his style of filmmaking is, like, specifically, like, wired to my brain of, like, what I love about movies. And this was just something I was so excited for, even though I really am not a fan of Elvis, like, as an actual person. I t- could not give a shit about Elvis Presley less, <laughs> like, honestly, if I tried. And every time, like, there's an algorithm on something online now that tries to give me real Elvis Presley instead of Baz's Elvis Presley, I'm like, absolutely not. This is not, You're not understanding what I'm after here. Uh, <laughs> I just, that's my favorite part about all of this is, like, you have this level of... Obset- like of obsession with this movie to the degree of like people had with Bo Rap who loved Queen and lo- like, but you don't even love Elvis. No, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I like the fictional version of Elvis, but not the real one. Um, <laughs> like the the one Baz has created in this like cocaine fueled, insane, just like Baz universe world that we've gotten. That's the one that I'm interested in. Um. I hope the Elvis fans never find this podcast <laughs> because I don't need that kind of, I don't need that kind of heat online. Um, but this is such a Baz film from the music choices and how he uses music in the film to tell the story from the editing to Catherine Martin's costume and production designs. Like it is just your quintessential you watch it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a Baz Luhrmann film, which is something I love so much. Like, it's something you either love or you can't stand, specifically with him as a mm. filmmaker. And I think this movie maybe better than any of the other ones he's made, I feel like, is him really figuring out how to mesh all those things together and really make them click. Like, I feel like this is a step for him in his filmmaking where – all of his eccentric filmmaking things that he does really found a way to come together um, in a way we haven't quite seen before. As someone who loves music as much as I do, I love the way that he uses music in his filmmaking. And like I said, even though I'm not an Elvis Presley person, I really love the way that he chose to tell this story. Um, I just think... Visually, it's so interesting. It's so stylized. The costume design, again, Catherine Martin is outstanding. Like, I hope she gets another Oscar this year because she's phenomenal. Um, And the thing that, and like people tease me about this since fine, like whatever, I don't care. But the performance is really the whole movie. Like Baz's filmmaking is wonderful and great. And like, I think he understands how to bring things like Graceland and and Elvis' stage presence and what Vegas was like. Like, I think he's the perfect kind of guy to do that, for sure. But I think you miscast Elvis, and the whole thing just doesn't... It just falls apart. Like, it Mm. just doesn't work. And I think that Austin Butler achieved something here that, like, people for months since it came out have been saying, I don't think we've seen a transformative performance like this in a really long time. Like it's just something that is that lightning in a bottle thing that people have been really excited about, even if they don't love the movie, like even if they're not 
into Elvis or into Baz or whatever. It's been the thing that people have really talked about. Um, and it's the thing that really stuck with me. Like as much as I love Baz's filmmaking, it was still, I sat there and went, man, like why did he have to choose Elvis? Like I don't, <laughs> it was, it was like Guillermo del Toro with Pinocchio mm. where I was like, I'd really, I don't think you could have picked someone in music that I care about less. <laughs> like, I really don't think you could have done it. And again, it's just a, a credit to the filmmaking and to the storytelling that I love the movie as much as I do. And, and the acting and everything like about that, that got me to care so much about it. Um, and it is one of those instances where it didn't necessarily get me interested in the actual subject matter. Um, usually it, it kind of does to an extent, but it's just, to me, it's Baz doing what he does best. It's Baz, you know, kind of discovering his new Leo, like plucking him out of nothing and giving us a star. And I don't mean nothing as a disrespect to the career he had before this, but this is clearly the next kind of mm. step that a lot of actors don't get the opportunity to have. Yeah. Um, which is really exciting. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, again, a movie I really was like, eh, the first Top Gun movie's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's decent enough. I didn't grow up with the first Top Gun movie. Like, I watched it, and I was like, cool. I, <laughs> fine. However, <laughs> somehow, they were like, we're going to put out this sequel. And it's going to be, literally, we're going to do the impossible. And everything in every single way about the sequel is going to be better. Everything. The story is better because the first Top Gun doesn't really have a story. Like, mm. they kind of just throw people into the Top Gun Academy, but there's not really a story to it. Mm. So there's a story with a big emotional core in it. The cinematography, like the cameras they had to develop to film this movie is astounding. Like, if you compare the fighter jet footage from the first film to this film there's just no argument like the yeah. like the technology that they have now to be able to shoot this film the way they did is astounding like this the cinematography is ridiculous the editing is amazing because you can really fuck up the editing for this movie and have people be confused when they're, you know, quickly switching between different, like, cockpits and, like, different, like, during the fight sequences. And, like, it would be really easy for people to get lost watching this movie. But the editing is really great in keeping you tuned in to what's actually going on. The casting was not a problem with the first movie. I think the casting in the first movie was probably the one thing that arguably... I don't think this movie does better. I think it just does as well. Where you have this great ensemble of actors that you end up really caring about. And the characters are all, you know, quirky and interesting and uh, good to look at, which is apparently a thing where it's like, we can't have Top Gun without having people who are really attractive. So there's that. Yeah. Like that's just apparently the law of the Top Gun universe, which is, we won't knock it, which, is, <laughs> which I'm not going to complain about. They took the volleyball scene and went, you know what? No, absolutely not. We are going to have 87 gallons of baby oil and coconut oil and whatever oil is available to us. And we are just going to try. And that is our one goal of this whole movie. Fighter jets, please. Beach scene, we got to get that right. 
if any of you have listened to any of the cast interviews, Tom made them redo the beach scene because it wasn't good enough the first time <laughs> after all the actors had stopped dieting <laughs> and stopped wanting to kill themselves from how in shape they had to be. And they did that for us. All right, people, I don't think you understand what's been sacrificed here for us to get that beautiful beach sequence. But it is a movie, again, tied to a property that I'm not particularly, like, doesn't really mean anything to me. And this movie, like, made me emotional. It was one of the best action movies I think I've ever seen. The ability to build tension and keep you interested and have it be something that's actually a, a solid story arc and character growth for Maverick, which we didn't really get in the first movie. Like, it's just kind of like you mentioned. Like, it's the kind of blockbuster movie making that we don't really get anymore. Like, we just, it's not a thing that happens, the, this kind of story that doesn't feel overly tropey and doesn't feel like it's trying to, it, it just feels genuine which sounds really dumb, but I feel like a lot of blockbuster movies we get these days don't feel genuine. They don't feel like they're just telling the story from a meaningful place. Like it always feels like there's, which people are going to roll their eyes, but it always feels like there's some kind of agenda with big blockbuster movies. And I know the quote unquote Navy propaganda movie, me saying that it doesn't feel like it has an agenda probably sounds really dumb, but it just feels like a movie that's made out of love for the first movie and for aviation and for Tom Cruise, really. Like, that's what it feels like. Um, so these two movies, I probably expected for Elvis to be top two. Top Gun, probably. I don't think if you would have asked me. <laughs> At the start of the year. If it was going to be top two, I probably would have been like, mm, don't know about that. So all that being said, this decision has been haunting me <laughs> for weeks. <laughs> Literally for weeks, I have sat there and went, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. And the only reason that this is going the way that it is, is because one of them has become a comfort movie for me. And the other one, I love, and I think it's so brilliantly made, but it's not a comfort movie for me. So number two is Elvis. Wow. <laughs> and number one is Top Gun Maverick. Wow. Amazing. Jesus Christ, I can't believe Top Gun Maverick became your number one movie of the year. <laughs> but I think you are right. Like after, well, the other night when you watched um, All okay. Quiet and afterwards you were like, I, I need a comfort movie and you put on Top Gun. Like mm -hmm. that's now your comfort movie. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, you ended the year with your number one movie. I did, yeah. All right, well, uh, I want to hear what yours is, and then I'll and then I'll go to mine. Okay, my number one is one that wasn't even in my. I mean, it was like, anyway, it wasn't in my top ten when I first watched it. But slowly, as I rewatched it, as I thought about it more, it's crept. What it's crept up, it's crept up, it's crept up, and only really recently, when I was really thinking about this episode and my top ten, did it just solidify its spot and it's everything everywhere all at once wow it's the movie of 2022 don't give me that face no 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 <laughs> I, I i i don't disagree i i think there are two the movies of this year yeah. i think there is everything everywhere and top gun maverick yeah. i think they are the two movies yeah. from this year and they both represent film the best of film they mm -hmm. you know one represents you know because everything everywhere did 
box office in like did incredible at the box office yeah. in the US and basically showed, hey, we can still save cinema. We can still have these type of movies mm-hmm. in a cinema. And then obviously Top Gun Maverick did what Top Gun Maverick did. Mm-hmm. Like, I, so, I, I, so I wasn't giving you a look when it's like, no, you, they are, this is, these are the two movies of 2022. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is just absolutely insane, but in the most beautiful, masterful way possible. And everything it does, it does with finesse and just ties it in a neat bow somehow. I don't know how the Daniels managed to pull that off because, I mean, from what I've heard, it was way, way wilder in the mm. first few drafts and they were like, okay, just give it back. <laughs> there was a universe where there was a pot of spaghetti and there was a sentient they were all sentient beings oh my and God. one was a little boy who really wanted to be like flicked onto the ceiling and like to like for a sticky test to see if the pasta was ready and in that moment he would become a man i want to see that as like a short film or something but just like little shit like that and it's just everything about the film like literally every like the directing the writing, the editing, the cinematography, the production design, like the fact that literally most of this movie just takes place in a tax office, but you don't even realize because they use the space so well. And even the, like, especially the visual effects, which for like four or five guys that don't have any VFX training and just taught themselves, it's insane. Um, the score and the sound are masterful and the costumes, I really hope get a nod in the awards season because every, like there's so many Mm. costumes because there's so many universes and they are so epically crafted. And I just, I just love this film. I've seen it three times now and every time I watch it, I love it a little bit more and I love watching it with people. The first time I watched it, it was by myself. Um, but then the second and third time I watched it with people, with friends and seeing their reactions was just amazing. I like can't love this movie more than I already do. And like I said, the performances, Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Shu, Kihei Kwan, which is a front runner for supporting actor. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, because the fact that dude didn't make a movie in like 20 years and all yeah. of a sudden he's back and he's going to win an Oscar, like mm. that's epic. And I know I said Jamie Lee, I don't want Jamie Lee Curtis to win. That's only because I want Stephanie Hsu to win, but even her performance is really awesome. Everyone just fully leans into everything this movie is trying to do and you just got to give it up. Like you can't, like even the fact that my mum loved this movie was insanity to me. <laughs> And just proved how good it is because mm. I just expected this to be way too wild for her. But the core story of the mother, the like fractured mother and daughter relationship, and also the fractured husband wife relationship just holds it together. Mm. And their use of that storyline, like in between all the messiness, mm. is done so well. And makes you just a sobbing mess by the end somehow after like two hours of the craziest shit you've ever seen you're sobbing at the end and i just didn't expect that Mm. (laughs) i expected a comedy an action a sci-fi but i didn't expect to be crying and 
I just love what the Daniels have done here. And I really didn't expect it from them either because I watched Swiss Army Man, so I knew that they were able to do crazy, but I didn't really like Swiss Army Man. So, like, the fact that I loved this so much I was really surprised by and... I'm just so excited to see what else they have because this is only their second movie or mm. well, feature length, like proper movie at least. And that fact is just insane. And I want them to take as much time as possible because <laughs> they took so much time with this film. It took them so long to make and you can tell. Yeah. It's it really it really is a testament to indie filmmaking, uh-huh. even though I know it's not look, fourteen million dollar budget isn't indie, but it is in today's day and age. And what mm-hmm. the fact that they're able to make this movie look this good with, 14, with only with that, that um, yeah. little budget is incredible. And fucking Doctor Strange. Has yeah, how like, much money. Well, yeah, exactly. Like you look at the Marvel movies and you look at other, but even you look at other blockbusters outside of Top Gun and Avatar, like Jurassic World, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Black Adam, Morbius. Like you look at all those and you're like, these guys have over a hundred, hundred plus million dollar budget. Everything and, at their disposal. Yeah. And they can't do what everything everywhere does. Yeah. And yeah. Everything everywhere, number one. Um, my number one is one that I know is not on yours and was on yours. And it's one that I have been talking I have been praising ever since I saw it. It is one of a movie that is completely gripped by a, the by the performance at the heart of it, and that is Tar. Oh duh. Yeah, see I knew <laughs> as soon as you said it, I'd be like, Oh yeah, duh. Yeah. But okay, um cool. I I honestly probably made this my number one movie after the opening scene. I like you know like in all seriousness the 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 opening scene of Tar where she is sitting there and giving this fifteen minute monologue about her career and who she is, and you're just sitting there captivated the entire time, and it's all basically done in one take. It's all. I I think this is one of the greatest performances we've ever seen from a legend of an actress. Mm-hmm. And I I absolutely adore this performance. And I and I think what you were saying before about how it shows us an imperfect woman and it's something we don't get to see. So a, a woman who is so driven by her by her her passion for the for her crafts but also her i uh, her the the way that she is so self-centered and i i just the fact that they were willing to actually do a film about this and into that and show this side of it and show abuse from uh, where a woman is the abuser and a and this character is we're getting a film about kind like kind of along the lines of a she said like a Harvey Weinstein or what or what we hear women talking is about and we're getting it from that perspective and it never ever justifies it like it's always no she's not right this isn't she's this is just a person's world unraveling and i there is something about just experiencing that and experiencing this woman's world completely unraveling is just fascinating. And the way that Kate Blanchett 
manages to conduct um, to hold you completely disgusted with who she is as a human being, with who she is as a character, but then also feel sorry for her because of her performance, because of how well she is able to convey, you know, just as a human being. And I, I, I really, I, I just, I, I love everything. I, I love this movie so much and I cannot wait, cannot wait to see it again on a big screen in just a couple of weeks and very much looking forward to that mm-hmm. screening. And uh, yeah, Tar is, Tar is my number one movie of the year. There you go. Uh, any, any final thoughts that we want to share? I don't know. I'm just very like, I'm just soaking it all in mm. I'm taking it all in. We had very different lists. We yeah. did. It's funny. So, so we yeah, had, what was the, we thought there would be two or three. It was, I, Bones it was two. It was two. Triangle, Triangle. and Bones You didn't have Banshees on yours. No, I didn't have no. Banshees. Well, there's, there's a lot where it's on two person people's lists, but it's not on all yeah. three. There's yeah. a lot that are on two. Which is quite interesting. Um, I think like I think every single one of mine is on two at least. Anyway, um, I might do, I might do that next week and, and give you guys what our uh, combined list Ooh, would be. That would be interesting. I might do that. Yeah. I'll probably make one for the Instagram, just mm. like the lists yeah. and see where what adds up. Uh, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode. I know it went, it went a lot longer than we normally do, but we're talking our favorite movies of the year, so we had we had to keep talking about them. And uh, guys, next week we will be back on with our regular scheduled episode. We will be talking about Megan and Guy Ritchie's latest Operation Fortune. Uh, what a double feature! Yep, so excited. <laughs> Until then, guys, Taylor, where can they find you online? People can find me Letterbox, Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr, Instagram, all of the places at Finally Tailored. You can find me on Instagram and Letterbox at Elena Violet and TikTok and Twitter at Laney Film. And I literally always forget to mention this, but we have a podcast Instagram at Lights on a Screen or Lights on a Screen Pod. One or the other, I forgot which of these name is, but you can find it. Just search like to the screen and it will be there. Yeah. So go follow us and I'll post about every episode we do and some bonus stuff. It It's a good time. You guys can find me just at Jacob London on pretty much everything. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. And until next week, we will see you next time.